Hello, welcome to Radio Motherboard. I am Kelly Rogers. I'm a staff writer at Motherboard. I'm here with your regular host, Jason Kebler. Hello. And I'm here today because I recently did an interview with an interesting person, the director of a film called Tickled, which you may have heard about. It's an interesting new documentary that came out uh, out of New Zealand journalist David Ferrier. He found this sort of strange online community, I guess you would call it, of competitive endurance tickling. And it sort of led him down this rabbit hole, and he made a whole film about his process of uncovering what exactly was going on. Kaylee, how did you find out about this movie? I, somebody, somebody I follow on Twitter retweeted the director, David, who was saying, you know, I'm still being harassed and sued over this film, so if anyone in New York is around and wants to go see the opening, it would be really great to have your support. And I was like, who is, why is he getting sued for a film about tickling? And I watched the trailer, and I was very intrigued. I remember you posted it in our Slack, and you said, is this the onion? Is this even real? And uh, the trailer is totally nuts. So um, let's listen to, like, a quick bit of it. This tickling wormhole was getting deeper. I mean, obviously, it's just for fun. Is it just for fun? It's tickling. <laughs> you know, I was young at the time, didn't think nothing of it. And I was like, $2,000, that's going to be cool. I mean, imagine being a teenage boy. She would just keep sending them whatever they wanted. She offered my one buddy a Chevy Cruze and $30,000. The money's endless. This tickling empire is way bigger than we ever imagined. They have tickle cells all over the US. They're everywhere. And at some point, these boys say, I'm done the thing that she hates the most was no. It was like a bomb went off. Your phone number and your personal information are entirely known and subject to publication on the internet. Yeah, so I saw this trailer as well once you put it in and I was like this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and you actually went out and watched it and then I watched it too. But um, what, did, uh, what did you think of, of David and this whole like ordeal? It was really great to talk to him because he had a lot of great insight about the process that they went through discovering this. I mean, the the sort of storyline that you're presented in the documentary is very much sort of how things unravel for him. You know, when he started making it, he had no idea sort of how deep it was going. He just kind of thought it would be a fun documentary and like, whatever, let's just do it. And then things quickly got more and more complicated and more sinister the more people he talked to. And it just kind of luckily turned out to be a very interesting story for him. Yeah, should we uh, should we listen to your interview with him? Yeah, so this is my interview with New Zealand journalist David Ferrier, the director of Tickled, and there are no spoilers in this interview, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, feel free to keep listening. Yeah, and then we'll be back and we will do some spoiler debrief mm-hmm. if you have seen it. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. I do appreciate it. I know you've been doing... A lot of press and everything. It's been busy the last few weeks, but I was curious. Maybe just to start, you can tell me a little bit about how you came across this whole story to begin with, how it sort of ended up in front of you. Yeah, so I guess for almost 10 years, I've been covering sort of weird pop culture stories online. So, um, And I guess I've done so many weird stories that a lot of friends try and outdo me with strange things on the internet. And so my friend Thana emailed me one day saying, you need to check this out. And it was a link to Jane O'Brien Media. And I opened it up and the website was looking for fit young men 
to take part in this tickling contest in LA. And so I just started there. At that point in time, did you really believe that this was actually a sport? Yeah, I'm pretty naive. Like, I genuinely, I know, like, I knew something was off because you look at these videos and they there's something about them that's just very, it's inherently funny or strange, I guess. But it was the Adidas gear and the fact it was in, in, in a photography studio. You know, it wasn't in someone's bedroom. Um, and these guys were in uniform in a photo- like quite a large photography studio. So I thought there might be something legit in it where it was some kind of a very zany sport or someone's idea of a zany sport. So what were some of the early articles that you were actually writing when you got you know, your sort of initial response, which was not what you were expecting, and you said that you did do a few posts? Yeah, so I went to Jane O'Brien Media's Facebook page and just posted because I noticed some New Zealanders had been flown over to LA to take part. So I just went to their public Facebook wall, which had about 20,000 likes. And I just posted, you know, I'd like to do a story. And, you know, that PR person, Debbie, couldn't reply saying we don't want to deal with a homosexual journalist. So I screen grabbed that and I put it on my Facebook wall just to kind of, you know, get some response from my Facebook friends and just sort of see what they thought of this strange thing. And then I started emailing Debbie and the responses got more and more, I guess, personal and homophobic and just strange And so I started writing about it for three news where I worked. And, you know, I said, here's this thing I discovered, you know, here's a video. Um, I emailed them. They said this. I Facebooked them. They said this. And I just started plotting it out in real time. And I did three blogs as things got crazier and crazier. And, you know, in part three, I interviewed off the record a New Zealand man who'd been flown over to Los Angeles to do the competition. And, you know, trying to talk to him about, you know, had he met Jane? Had he met Debbie? Who were these people? And those, all those blog posts got quite a bit of attention for New Zealand. You know, like there were quite a few people posting on it. So I sort of started thinking, you know, maybe we should launch a Kickstarter and, you know, use some of the support to go over to America and sort of start chasing things a little bit more in depth. That's the point when you decided to do the documentary? Yeah, it was going to be a small sort of documentary. It was going to be, I was sort of imagining something for Vimeo or YouTube, I guess. Um you know, we're going to use some friends and just go over on a road trip in America and start sort of poking around. Because we had an idea that there were some competitive shoots coming up and we just wanted to look into them. But then, you know, things sort of elevated when, you know, around the Kickstarter time, uh, that's when Jane O'Brien Media said they're sending three guys from New York to New Zealand to see us. And that's, you know, that's another sort of thing that went off in our brains going, okay, this is maybe bigger even than we think it is, or it's more serious, or there's something more to it. So the whole way through, it just kept sort of elevating. And as you were making, I mean, were you concerned at any point? Were you worried about the legal threats or, you know, even any kind of personal threats? Were you concerned, like, maybe this isn't worth it? Um, So the legal threats were a concern. Um, There were different concerns all throughout. I mean, I had a private investigator outside of my house in New Zealand for a while, and, you know, that's not in the film, but there were all these strange things happening that yeah, definitely had us had us fairly concerned. I'm curious if you've come across, so Jane O'Brien has now launched their own website that's sort of refuting the, all the claims in the movie. And they, you know, they did a, a follow-up interview with Jordan, who's somebody that uh, is a subject in your film, where he basically says that you coached him through the whole interview and, and made all this stuff. I mean, how have you <laughs> sort of been reacting to that? No, I'm I'm keen for people to read all that stuff. And then, you know, they've watched the film. I think they can sort of see the money involved and the kind of way this company operates. And I think people can probably just draw their own conclusions from that. I'm curious what your sort of thoughts were after going through this whole process and learning everything that you did. Um, 
without spoiling too much of the film, with this sort of central figure that you found, what you believe the motivations were, you know, that if it's truly just a, a fetish for tickling, if there's more to it as far as controlling people and manipulating people kind of room, it seemed like there's so much more to it. And it's sometimes hard to, I guess, fully understand where someone's coming from. I like to believe that people aren't just sort of pure evil and, and wanting to do things for purely malicious reasons. Maybe there's something more to it. Yeah, I, I can't talk on it too much just because there's there's sort of two defamation lawsuits that have come at me so far. So I have to talk in very broad terms about it. But I think, no, I mean, I think you're, everything you're saying is really interesting. And I mean, the whole, I think the whole film, you know, the whole, in, whole film focuses on these ideas of power and control and what that means. And so, you know, on a very simplistic level, tickling itself is about power and control. And you've got someone who's tied down powerless while someone else has all the power over them. And I mean, that's like a really easy visual metaphor for, I think, the whole film because you're dealing with a company or an individual who has a, you know, seemingly endless resources and they're using that to manipulate and control other people just like a tickler does to a tickly. And I think, you know, I think, you know, for all I can say is I, I can, I think there are patterns between an interest in the tickling, you know, it's like BDSM, but what, you know, brought way, way down. And this whole other game that's going on where people are having their lives sort of torn apart online through these, this online harassment campaign. I think it's sort of all part and parcel of the same world, I suppose. I think a lot of people might not expect going into this film that it does touch on topics that are uh, very pertinent right now as far as people being harassed online, you know, revenge porn, all these different things where we're, we're finally starting to look at that seriously and realize it for the real crimes and the real effect that it has on people's lives. You know, too often we kind of think of it as, oh, it's just the internet, it's not real life. Um, but these acts online can have real life ramifications for people and they can be life ruining in, in some cases. What did you sort of learn about that? How do you think we can mitigate that and, and solve for that as we are starting to become more aware of it and how common it is. You know, in a way, Tickled is like a cautionary tale of the internet, right? But I think that, I think this idea that, especially if you're an internet native, that you, you, you know that people catfish. Like, you know that everyone isn't who they say they are. You know, I'll be fine. But there's still ways that people can get tricked. And like, just when you think you've heard it all, there's going to be something else. So I haven't really answered your question. I don't know. How this, you know, I think internet harassment is a huge problem. I'm glad people are taking it more seriously. I'm glad people are trying to have this discussion about how to stop it. But I don't know how exactly we can. I noticed this was actually in another interview that you did, but you did mention how, you know, with some of the subjects that you interviewed who had been previously harassed and, and chose to appear on film and talk about it openly, in some ways that could be a possible antidote because at least they've got on the record now that, this is what's been happening, that this, you know, they're being attacked. It's funny, just before I talked to you, I, I was late to an interview today because I was talking to a guy here in Boston who had been involved. And, you know, for someone like that, you know, watching the film is like closure in a way because it puts everything in a larger context, right? And, you know, I think it was the same for the people that spoke to us. Um, they can kind of look at this and if anyone's, you know, finds their name on the internet involved in, you know, some crazy website saying that they're a deviant and they've done terrible things and look at this tickling video, they can say, hey, there's a documentary being made about this. This is how this ended up happening. Look at this film. And so just having it out there in public hopefully takes some of the power away that this company 
Jane and Brian Media has. I also wonder about what role the internet plays. Is what would a person like this do? You know, thirty years ago, do you think that these kind of people were still existed, and the internet just kind of exacerbates it, or what role do you think it plays? I think you raise two things there, and I think one of them is really good, and that someone who thinks they're alone in the world with a fetish or any kind of interest, whether you're into, you know, breeding exotic parrots or whether you love tickling, those people who felt they were isolated before, they can jump on the internet and find a million people that are into exactly the same stuff. And suddenly they have this community where they can be themselves and not feel shy about what they want. And I think that's amazing. And it's why the internet is great. At the same time, that gives power to people who previously wouldn't have had such an easy way to connect and manipulate certain people. And suddenly that, you know, they are a lot more powerful than they would have been otherwise. So, you know, in the case with our film, you know, if the internet didn't exist, I don't think the story would exist um, or it'd be a lot harder for this person to do what they're, what they're doing that, that creates so much damage. You know, I think the internet enables that. Why do you personally like to write about and, and do video pieces about these sort of weird internet cultures and, and phenomenons that you find? I don't know. I could a- analyze my own upbringing, I guess, to why I'm into certain things. But I had a fairly like, I had a fairly um, conservative upbringing, I suppose. And so later in life, I just find all this diversity infinitely interesting, I suppose. And then on a very superficial level, like I was a big fan of the X-Files when I was growing up. And like the idea of like these two FBI agents investigating all this crazy stuff that we didn't think existed, I got super obsessed with that idea. And so suddenly... You know, I think probably some of the stuff is an extension of my being a fan of that show on a very official level, to be honest. And so how exciting was it then to get to kind of do a, a big investigation and solve this sort of mystery? It was, it was really enjoyable because, you know, I whilst I sort of I focus on really lighthearted sort of fickle things... You know, I've been in a newsroom and I've always sort of been around all the current affairs reporters in our newsroom and I've really admired what they do. So, and I love journalism, like I love the art of it. So while I don't, I'm not, you know, doing stories about, you know, particularly serious things, I still really enjoy engaging in that stuff. And so to be able to have a story to chase myself, I find it really satisfying. In some ways, you know, this sort of story could have happened with a number of different uh conduits, I guess, or, or fixations, but the, the tickling is somehow so perfect. Yeah, I mean, I think we got very lucky in that, you know, you're right, it could have been, it didn't have to be tickling. It could, our entry into the story could have been anything. It just happens that it was tickling. And I think, and our favorite's tickling because it's this really light, accessible topic because like every human on earth has been tickled. Like we have that everyone has that in common. So everyone in that theater can identify with it. And I think that was pretty... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. It could have been about anything, but I think being, being such a visual thing um, like tickling is we kind of were very lucky in that way. And how sort of the reaction been the the interest from audience members and, and other media? I mean, have you been excited to hear the feedback? Anything surprising you at all? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I, it was originally our, it was our intent to have it as a, you know, a little Vimeo download. You know, we did not. So it's it's exciting for me to still be showing it. And the Q&As afterwards are great if I can attend those because no one leaves. Like everyone has questions and that's really fun. Um, the strangest response has probably been a couple of people that have come up um, after the film and said, you know, we watched those tickling scenes and like, oh, I, we, I, I felt something that's strange in my stomach. And it's like, I actually really love tickling and they didn't know that before. So that's been kind of cool. You're helping people get in touch with their secret fetish they didn't know they had. Because most people react to it, you know, they sort of think, 
oh, that's a bit, you know, oh, it's a bit strange or I don't want to watch any more of that now or like, oh, you know, that's funny or that's, you know, but to have that reaction has been kind of neat. What's one thing that you would like to tell viewers before they go in and, and watch the film? You don't read, I mean, I hope that people going into this don't read reviews or even watch the trailer. They've just heard about this film that's not terrible and potentially is a good film. And you know, and then they watch it and then afterwards they read their reviews. They do like their own deep dive into all this stuff because it's just a much more, I think any film this is true of, but this one in particular, I think it's great if people go in fresh with no expectations and they just watch it. And then I'd actively urge them afterwards to go and visit you know, the the site set up to discredit the film and they visit all the comments and they embrace all that stuff because it's real fun after the fact. The pop culture sort of climate that we're in right now where there's all this interest in, you know, we got cereal, we've got the jinx and this fascination with getting to the bottom of a mystery. Why do you think that we're so interested in these sort of true crimes and mystery stories at this point in time? I don't know. I mean, I think I'm really excited about it because I don't, it's like this in America, but particularly in New Zealand at the moment, we're seeing a lot of our newsrooms are being really dumbed down and that, you know, literally as I was making this film, all our current affairs shows were getting cancelled and all our reality programming was going through the roof. And newsrooms all around the world are getting less resources to dig into stories and to, you know, have the time to pay journalists to look into anything. You know, like Spotlight highlights all that, right? Like, um, But I'm really excited that people, there's new ways to tell these stories and I'm excited that people want serial and they want to invest time, whether it's in making a murder or the jinx, in having these stories told because they're important stories to be told because they highlight inconsistencies in the justice system and, and you know, um, injustice and all sorts of things. Um, why people are so engaged? I don't know. I think people love a good story and real life provides like the best stories in the world. And I think we just, humans are finding, thanks to the way you know, we, we love film, we love TV and we love podcasts. It's just all these new ways of telling these stories. So people love a good story and like real life is always better than anything you could dream up in a writing room. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions. If there's anything else you want to add at all. Thanks for wanting to talk about it. Thank you so much. All right. Well, welcome back. Now that you've heard a bit from David, hopefully you've gone out and watched the movie because it's very interesting. Uh, if you're not too worried about spoilers, just keep listening. If you are, then just pause it, go watch the movie, and then come back, and we're just going to have a little discussion about what we thought. Uh, Jason also watched the film and sort of our, our reactions to it. So what did you think of it? Were you enjoying it? Were you enticed by it while you watched it? Well, I'm a sucker for these sort of like uh, truth is much stranger than fiction type stories, and that definitely is the case here. I mean, we we're saying, you know, was this an Onion documentary? And no, it's certainly not. It's very real, um, and it, there are like many different layers to to the story. So I did like that aspect of it. I thought it was pretty well done. Um, it, it's yeah, it's one of the better documentaries I've seen in the last few months. Um, I don't know that it's like a masterpiece of filmmaking or it says too much about like I don't know if it says that much about the broader culture of like weirdness online because in the end it, it kind of ends up it was like this one guy with a lot of money and um, you know this weird fetish and it's it's really unclear to me like how big the tickling fetish market is or if <laughs> you know if he's even like like how how widely watched these are outside of uh, you know his own personal enjoyment and like 
creepy pleasure. Yeah, I definitely kept thinking that they were going to reveal that he was making a lot of money off of these videos, like selling them or, or put, posting them on porn sites and getting ad revenue or something. And then the reveal was kind of like, no, he's not earning anything off them. They're just part of this elaborate kind of spider's web he sets up so he can both enjoy the exploitation in the video and then also further exploit people by, like, blackmailing them and threatening them and controlling them that way, which is, like, deeply sickening <laughs> and disturbing. Yeah, I feel like it—so, it, I, I mean, I mentioned—I uh, don't know that it had, like, that much to say to, uh, to, like, a deeper point, but I think that it had a lot of things to say about a lot of different topics. Like, it, it was a very nice personal story about— um, not, and by nice, I mean well done and intriguing. <laughs> um, personal story that touched on a lot of things that are both motherboardy and like societal harms and ills. Like we talk about cyberbullying a little bit, and I think this movie also had a lot to say about cybersecurity and hacking and um, sort of the long digital trail of of things that can be found online. Um, not only from the victim's perspective, but like David D'Amato's ultimate downfall is that he, like, left an open directory, um, you know, of all these... Uh, it's just so insane. Like, how, how does somebody who has, like, at least some kind of, like, hacking and, like, security skills and is able to, like, steal identities and, like, hack into college computer systems, how do they accidentally upload, like, their entire desktop onto the internet? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. No, so that that's... That was super intriguing to me, and and the fact that you know a lot of this happened in like the early two thousands when, um, you know, hacking was obviously a thing, but it wasn't this thing that we talk about constantly like mm-hmm. we do now. So, I mean, you have people who probably didn't take the right steps to uh, you know protect themselves. Not not to blame victims here at all, but I'm just saying like. Uh, we didn't it, know back then. It, yeah, it was, like, unclear how you would even protect yourself yeah. if you wanted to, so... And also, on the flip side of that, I think people in the early 2000s had this idea that hackers could kind of do anything, you know what I mean? Like, they could hack into your toaster somehow and, like, do all this kind of crazy stuff that isn't really possible. So there was probably more, you know, he could have made empty threats to people that... They didn't know if he could do that or not, so they would just, like, give in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, he hacked, you know, he did a lot of, like, DDoS attacks yeah. on um, different computer systems. And uh, it's unclear whether the victims had, like, any idea what he actually did to knock mm-hmm. something offline. And back then, you know, it was really hard to get get a site back up if it had been under a DDoS attack, mm-hmm. whereas now there's, like, all these services that you can... Uh, you know, protect yourself against that. And um, the the actual, so the first time that D'Amato was arrested, they got him under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which is like this catch-all, um, this catch-all law that, you know, has been used to go after a lot of people for a lot of different things. Um, most notably, not most notably, but notably uh, Aaron Schwartz, who was the founder of Reddit, uh, who uploaded a lot of documents onto JSTOR, uh, or a lot of JSTOR documents, basically like academic papers. Um, online, he pirated them, essentially, and was um, prosecuted under this act. And, you know, he eventually ended up killing himself, and it, there's been a big push for reform of that act since then. Obviously, David D'Amato's, like, crimes, 
like he he had some hacking crimes, but the biggest crimes were like blackmail and like impersonation yeah. and things. And like none none of those laws were used to go after him. They used this kind of catch all to cat to get him for yeah. like really kind of not that yeah. bad things that he did. Yeah, and I mean now they're starting to introduce more cyber harassment and like revenge porn laws, which I wonder if stuff like that could be used to hold people like this accountable. It's interesting because it's not it's not porn. And yet he was still able to blackmail so many of these people who just, when it's framed in a particular way and it's like the only thing about you on the internet, all of a sudden it seems a lot more embarrassing than maybe when they first agreed to do it. And they're like, oh, whatever, it's tickling. It's like, who cares? Yeah, D'Amato also used all these uh, tactics that we see more often now, um, you know, like doxing these people, like using their real names and putting information about them and like creating websites that when you Google them, that'll be the first thing that shows up. And this is something we see all the time now. And there's companies that will help like purge, not purge, but create uh, like new uh, search results for you basically by, you know, submitting a bunch of like creating good things to overshadow the bad things. Like cleaning up your online reputation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, none of this existed back then either. So he, he, I hate to say this, but he was like ahead of the game in many ways. Mm -hmm. And there weren't really a lot of, there wasn't a lot of recourse at the time. Or if there was, you know, people just didn't know about it. Yeah. So that to me, that was the most interesting part of the film. Uh, But I've also read a few interviews with with, uh, David Ferrier, uh, that have touched on some other things, like uh, on Gawker, there's an interview kind of getting into the fact that David D'Amato, uh, like, basically threatened David Ferrier because mm. he was gay or he's bisexual, actually, and they kind of get into, like, why is this seen as a sexual thing? Why is this seen as porn? So, uh, and they also talk about what it's like when someone who has a lot of money is trying to destroy you, which, mm-hmm. you know, has kind of happened with, like, Peter Thiel and Gawker and is now happening with David D'Amato and David Ferrier with all these legal threats. So I think I think that the film is, like, very timely in that sense. There's, like, a lot to, to talk about here. Definitely. He actually is sort of continued. There's, like, a whole website that's, like, the truth about the tickling film, and they went back and convinced some of the subjects in the film to sort of recant their stories and say, you know, David made me make it all up. I didn't, he gave me money to be in the film, and I don't really feel threatened at all, and... It's really true. Like, it's still ongoing. This is not over for him. And he says he's still getting, you know, legal threats and stuff. So Yeah, I guess that that's another thing, I think, is that the film itself is entertaining and interesting and important. But I think that the things that are happening, like, it's the story is still unfolding. And I think that, um, you know, the, the news stories surrounding it are almost more important. Like, what is going to mm-hmm. ultimately happen here? Like, if David D'Amato is able to win a lawsuit against this person and, you know, what's presented in the film seems pretty journalistically accurate to me, at least. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not making any claims outside of what he's learned from people or people have claimed to him. Yeah, and what happened to him. I mean, they film all in, like, public spaces, which is protected. Um, you know, there's this uh, question of whether he used stuff that was supposed to be off the record which is not really a, a legal question so much so much as one of journalistic integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's kind of, David has said, or David Ferrier has said that, uh, you know, he never agreed to go off the record, which from the footage shown in the documentary seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there may be more, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of a gray area where they, 
they agree not to film, but I guess they never agree not to record Yeah, audio. not to record audio, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I think that this m- movie is so fascinating in how weird it is. Like, yeah. Like, there's all these different layers to it that are, are important. Um, what did you think about some of the ways it was filmed? Like, I really felt like the way they, they build some of the tension and the discomfort, it was a very good analogy for tickling itself <laughs> because it's so, like, just watching some of the tickling scenes was very uncomfortable, but so was watching some of the confrontational scenes or the stressful scenes where he's, like, waiting outside David Amato's apartment for three days and, like, he finally sees the car and, like, goes up to him in the coffee shop. Like, I was just full of anxiety that whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I was too. Um, I, I mean, I've seen, I think, one or two documentaries that have that same, same sort of tension, but I think they did it really well in this in this film, and everything seems to go on, like, a little bit longer than is comfortable, mm-hmm. and that means even, like, the build-up to things, like, you know, there there's sometimes tickling scenes that go on mm-hmm. for, like, a while, and you're not, <laughs> you're kind of like, okay, I, I, like, get it, but yeah. then it kind of, it, cross that path from like um you know sort of not annoying but like okay i get it to like oh now i'm like uncomfortable but in like a good tense sort of way yeah yeah definitely and david was saying like this particular story could have unraveled from a lot of different things you know it could have been a revenge porn thing or or another type of fetish or something but just the fact that it was it happened to be tickling that this one particular person was into and that he used as a means of controlling people was just made it better. It's a more interesting story that way. So he's like, I really lucked out that it happened to be tickling that he was into. Yeah, yeah. No, it could have been something much darker and, like, yeah, worse. Um, I'm wondering if you think that, uh, you know, something like this could happen now um, in terms of, like, do you think you could still blackmail people in the same way over, like, a tickling video like this? I feel like it's getting to the point where there's so much, like, I, I don't want to say that this type of thing is, like, accepted, but people are, like, into a lot of different things, and I don't know that it, I don't know that you'd, like, still get kicked off a football team because mm-hmm. you film, like, a clothed, like, tickling video. Right. I think it's different, though, when you look at, like, you know, when they go to that small town in, I want to say Minnesota or something, somewhere in the Midwest. Um I mean, things are going to be different there. Everybody's going to know who you are, and even though it's just a clothed tickling video, it could be embarrassing in a way that it's hard to understand if you're not in that sort of ecosystem where, especially if people are pretty close-minded and maybe they're homophobic. And Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. I mean, let's, let's not say that, you know, everyone is going to be homophobic or close-minded in, in small towns. Or no. Something. I know you're not saying that, I'm but just, like, that. to be clear. I'm um, from a small yeah, town, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it just, it can sometimes, in some cases, right. be more no, pervasive there, just because it's... Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. I think you're right. Um, yeah, I, I'm just, I just, I feel like people are a little more open about, if if they're being blackmailed or harassed or like cy- or like cyberbullied even mm-hmm. like there's more awareness of what cyberbullying is and and perhaps like recourses or like you know you can tell someone about it and they will take you seriously whereas totally. i think in like 2005 if you were like oh this person's cyberbullying me someone would be like what the hell are you talking about i don't totally, yeah. know yeah and there's more now there's sort of that, that's like an option as a way to fight back, like making it clear that that's what is happening. 
suddenly reframes anything else that that person says or puts out about you. So there's, like, an artist, um, I can't remember her name, but she, like, took a lot of, like, nude portraits of herself and selfies and stuff and put them on the Internet, and then people would try to dox her, and she'd be like, guess what, my name and my nudes are already on the Internet. Like, you can't do anything to me because I already did it to myself. Like, there's no way to touch me now. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Um, I forget who the artist I know, was. I, should look there, it up. I mean, there was also this quite controversial stunt sort of thing that Yacht did uh, recently, um, who Claire Evans works with Motherboard often. She's the lead singer of Yacht, and they basically did this thing where they said they got hacked um, and a sex tape of Claire was released, and it was a hoax. It was like a it was a hoax that meant to say something, and you can argue about whether or not uh, it was a good thing to do or not. A lot of people said that it wasn't, but I think that once Claire said that she had been hacked and the the video had been stolen, the the reaction was not oh like look at this, you know look at this person's sex tape, like, I can't believe you made a sex tape, that's terrible. It, the reaction was, oh, my God, that's terrible, mm-hmm. like, what can we do to help? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the same reaction that, you know, even, even like, early, like, Paris Hilton's videos mm-hmm. from, like, you know, 2004 or, like, whenever that was, um, yeah. that's not the same reaction that, that people got back then. Totally, yeah, we're slowly starting to recognize the, like, real damage and real-lifeness of... <laughs> online harassment and and online bullying. I think that for a long time, people had this sense that if it's on the internet, it's not real life or it doesn't count. You shouldn't be so upset about it. But now people are more aware that the internet is real life. (laughs) We're all living in it. We live there. Motherboard (laughs) lives there. All right. Do we have anything else to say about Tickled? I, I thought it was a good film. I'm really glad I watched it. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Like you say, I don't think it's a you know, a spectacular in a film point of view, but I think it's a journalist making a documentary, so that's going to appeal to a certain audience, and it's just a great story. I think they did a good job telling it, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's it's like a very narrow story that touches on a lot of important topics, mm-hmm. um, so definitely see it. Uh, if, you, if we spoiled the movie for you and you just listened anyway, um, you should still see it. It's because it's the way that it unfolds is totally crazy, so yes. worth watching. And uh, send us some tweets or emails if you have any thoughts you want to add or reactions to the film. If you hated it, if you loved it, I would be interested to hear why. Because I enjoyed it, and I just think it's an interesting film. So you can reach me on Twitter at Kaylee Rogers, K-A-L-E-I-G-H-R-O-G-E-R-S. You can email me, Kaylee.Rogers at Vice.com. Yeah, and we also have uh, letters at Motherboard.tv and radio at Motherboard.tv. Either one of those works. Yeah, any of that. Hit us up. Cool, yeah. And uh, we'll be back next week with an episode all about the new Independence Day. Oh, yeah. All right, see you later. <laughs>